working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The Times 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WBRU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, 2016 marks the centennials of both Acadia National Park on Mount Desert Island and the U.S. National Park Service. The history of Acadia offers lessons about forging the early vision of George B. Dorr and others into a living, breathing national park and how to balance protection of resources with recreational opportunities. And this morning, I'm very delighted to welcome two of the folks who are thinking about that and acting about that uh, um, uh, centennial uh, coming up next year. Jack Russell is the co-chair of the Acadia Centennial Task Force. Welcome to you, Jack. Good to be here. And Stephanie Clement, welcome back to Talk of the Town. Stephanie Stephanie is with Friends of Acadia and a member of the Acadia Centennial Task Force. Welcome to you. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, perhaps um, each of you could give us a little bit of background on yourselves and how you came to your work um, um, on the Centennial um, uh, Task Force, and and, uh, then we'll get started with some questions about the the celebration itself. Jack, a little bit about your own background and how you came to this work. Well, I was born on Mount Desert Island, grew up there was educated in its excellent schools, so uh, I'm an island guy, I'm proud of it, uh, but I went away except for summers for 48 years, uh, so I'm still on probation. <laughs> and I uh, came back in 2006 with my wife Sandy Wilcox and uh, live in the home that's been part of my family on Echo Lake since 1937. Uh, soon after I came back, uh, I had the great privilege of being invited to serve on the board of Friends of Acadia in 2009, so I uh, jumped at that task, uh, knew it would be some work, so I retired uh, and have been working hard uh, on FOA missions ever since and uh, was asked along with my co-chair, Cookie Horner, uh, to uh, take up the task of Uh, leading uh, the Acadia Centennial Task Force to organize a year-long, community-based, and world-welcoming centennial for the park. Great. And Stephanie, you have deep roots on Mount Desert Island as well. A little bit about your background. Sure. I owe 
my entire existence to my great-great-great-grandfather, who was the uh, founder of the village of Seal Harbor. And um, fortunately, because of him, we came to vacation to Mount Desert Island for many years, and I was able to write that into my cover letter to Friends of Acadia <laughs> and uh, was lucky to be hired 18 years ago. And it's been a true joy to be working on behalf of the park ever since then and to be here at this historic moment during mm. our centennial celebrations. Mm. I saw a new plaque has been put up in Seal Harbor uh, noting your great-great-great-grandfather's home. It has. We owe Sidney Rockefeller a lot mm. of credit for getting mm that cleaned and taken care of and um, so our our entire family is really grateful to the Village Improvement Society there. Great. Well each of you have um, long um, histories but what um, if you could um, single out one kind of early memory of Acadia what Acadia means to you um, what would that be? Stephanie what for you? Well my first hike was South Bubble there's uh-huh. just no doubt that that in my mind is um, was formative for me my parents really had to hold me back uh, because I was so excited to be it, I think it was a sense of freedom as a child, mm-hmm. but also directed freedom because someone had built that trail for me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really the opportunity to run and be free, but at the same time to have those guidelines in place. Mm-hmm. And Jack, you said you grew up um, in, in Bar Harbor, um, fairly close to the park. What was your earliest memory, do you remember? Well, actually, uh, I was born in 43, so I was four years old during the great 1947 fire, and those are the first strong memories that I have of being evacuated, going to the municipal building in Ellsworth, being taken in for a week by a Ellsworth Falls farming family, and learning soon after all the acts of heroism by regular people who saved part of our town and helped protect the park. So I got a really visceral education early in the importance of community. Mm. Well, tell us a little bit about um, uh, what we're celebrating. Uh, we'll talk, talk about how we're celebrating in, in a minute. But um, uh, if you could, Jack, uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on the park. Um, George B. Doerr was a key figure in that, but there are so many others. But give us a thumbnail sketch of, of Acadia National Park. Uh, I'll try. Um, <laughs> uh, Acadia was the first national park created east of the Mississippi River. That's one very distinguishing feature. But it was also the first national park created largely from owned land, privately owned land, uh, and therefore as an act of community will. Uh, And uh, several leading members of the summer colonies on Mount Desert Island in the early part of the 20th century leading up to 1916 did some heroic work in assembling land and making sure uh, that we had a package big enough to qualify as a national monument, which which is its first ranking, which was accomplished in 1916. Uh, Charles William Eliot, for 40 years the president of Harvard, was the ultimate visionary, but he had the good sense to recruit George B. Doerr, a summer colony leader in Bar Harbor for many decades, who really devoted the rest of his life from 1901 with the Hancock County Trustees of Public Reservations until uh, he died in 1944 as the first superintendent. So it's uniquely from the community uh, and developed as a gift to the American people as a conscious intent 
by towns and summer colony. Mm. And that consciousness um, was probably accentuated by what was happening in, in an early round of development and timber cutting and those kind of things. So they were, they were seeing resources that were being threatened and acted to protect those resources. Uh, exactly so. I mean, many people know that there was a cog railway up the west side of Cadillac to the summit uh, fires all the time from the tinder boxes, uh, and you know, people trying to make a living out of a tough environment, whether it's quarrying stone or taking timber or working in the ocean. Uh, and uh, there was enough vision to see that if that continued uh, in full force, we'd lose some of the unique things that nature has given us. Uh, but I also want to emphasize that there was a lot of community-based cooperation with the conservers, and pieces of those original 5,000 acres were actually given by regular folks from the towns and the island. Mm. So that um, notion that um, the history of Mount Desert Island before Acadia, um, summer uh, residents had begun to come there as a result of seeing um, paintings, basically. Yes, I mean, I, I, Thomas Cole, uh, Frederick Church, uh, Frederick, uh, Fitzhenry Lane, uh, many artists came looking for sublime nature in the 1850s, and their work after the interlude of the Civil War was shown in the salons of Boston and New York and Philadelphia, which led a lot of people to want to come to Mount Desert Island and, you know, moving from the hotel community to building of the summer colony cottages in all four of our towns. And Acadia was preceded by um, village improvement societies um, that were trail makers, is that right? Yep. Uh, each of the towns uh, had a village improvement association or a village improvement society. Uh, they did many things, like making sure that uh, modern sewer systems were installed and getting good water uh, from our wonderful lakes and ponds to the towns. Uh, but one of the most prestigious roles was the path committee and the path makers who uh, loved to explore into the interior of the island, get to places like Jordan Pond. Uh, and it's really that commitment and that original trail work that I think is the impetus that leads to the conservation of Acadia. Mm. Along, the, along the way, um, Friends of Acadia um, was created. Stephanie, maybe a, a, a thumbnail sketch of Friends of Acadia and, ha and how it plays into some of these themes, especially the trails. Sure. Well, Friends of Acadia was founded 29 years ago, and our, we started really from a group of dedicated volunteers who were interested in lending some help to the National Park Service for um, interpretation education, and then also later it became uh, much more heavily trail-focused in terms of improvements. But we are nonprofit. We operate with the mission of preserving and protecting the ecological vitality, uh, cultural resources, and uh, really the beauty of the area. And um, we do that, I say, in four main ways. One is through fundraising and grant making to the park for projects of interest. That includes, uh, we do maintain endowments off of which interest is granted each year to help maintain the trails, the carriage roads, the wheelchair accessible carriages, Katie Winter Trails Association, all sorts of different things. The, the second main way that we help is uh, through advocacy. The Park Service isn't allowed really to advocate on its own behalf in terms of getting more funding to come to Acadia from the federal government. So we try to fill that role and also try to fight threats in the local communities or at, at the state level and federal level, um, threats to the park. 
And then the third way we try to support the park is through volunteerism. We have um, each year probably uh, more than 12,000 hours of volunteer time are granted to um, the trails and carriage roads, the wild gardens of Acadia, the grooming on the carriage roads for skiing in winter. And then the fourth thing that we really um, work hard to do is we some of our programs we cooperatively manage with the Park Service. And good examples of that are the internships that we offer, the Ridge Runners, the uh, Recreation Technician, the Youth Technology Team. Um, there are a number of internships that we make possible and we co-manage with the Park Service. Mm, a great story. Um, Jack, a little bit about um, the, the uh, creation of the park in terms of uh, the hurdles that um, Door and others faced in terms of getting people's attention and then getting um, the National Monument uh, status? Yeah, um, President Elliott had the inspiration uh, modeled actually by his son who uh, died uh, as a young man, sadly. Uh, but there was a commitment to what were called public reservations. So the original setting aside of parts of Mount Desert Island, particularly the mountain heights, was done. Uh, with that orientation uh, and with some help from Augusta from the state of Maine, uh, but the legal status of being able to hold those lands protected was never as secure as uh, the trustees had hoped they would be. Uh, so they finally were inspired to seek federal protection, uh, first as a national monument and then as a national park. Uh, and I think while there may have been some resistance in some quarters uh, uh, at the beginning, uh, everybody who has grown up here and woken up and seen the mountains and thought about what it would be like if they were developed has said, God bless. Mm, right. Were there tensions in, in the creation? Um, I think of Otter Creek, for instance, where, where um, there were certainly um, historical fishing uses, not necessarily um, guaranteed rights, but um, there were some changes that had to be uh, created in order for the Park Service to, to uh, grow. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think you can put that in the context of the very complex social history of Mount Desert Island, where you had for... From ever since 1762, uh, for a hundred years before the Civil War, and then for another 50 years before the conservation of Acadia, uh, a, a strong settlement of pioneering, hardy folks who lived from the land and lived from the sea, created lives. There were 4,000 people on Mount Desert Island before uh, the Civil War, so uh, you know it was, there was an established life here. Then. The people who were attracted by the paintings come, very substantial, wealthy people. Uh, soon most of the shore property passed to them. So you have the complexity of that relationship. But as an amateur local historian, uh, I try to tell the story as one of incremental accommodation because of mutual dependence. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think a very good culture has grown out of that. And I think the conservation of Acadia is one of the strongest features of that mutual respect and mutual dependence between people who live here year round and do hard work uh, and those who come in the summer uh, and want to respect and contribute to the society that they and the and the landscape that they love so much on the island. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning here on WERU. We're talking about celebrating Acadia as we get ready for the centennial of Acadia National Park on the 
U.S. National Park Service. Our guests are Jack Russell, who is co-chair of the Acadia Centennial Task Force, and Stephanie Clement, who's a member of that task force and employed by Friends of Acadia. Um, if you both thought about some of the current assets that uh, you would like people to celebrate in this centennial year coming up, what are some of those? Stephanie, what are some of the assets that you think are really worth celebrating right now? Well, I really think that our park is so unique because of its close relationship to the communities. And so we've been trying to stress to each partner to think about their own assets and their own relationship to the park. And next year to take the time to celebrate that in whatever fashion makes sense. So we have a number of groups like uh, quilters or rug hookers who are planning their uh, shows next year to be themed around the centennial. To me, that's really an affirmation of that community side to Acadia National Park. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for the dedication of all those who gave land, mm -hmm. of all those who gave their time, and uh, for those who, who've given their money over the years to really make Acadia what it is. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier volunteers who work on both carriage roads and trails and um, uh, the wild gardens of Acadia. Say a little bit about some of those assets. Sure. Um, we are so blessed that in the early years, thanks to the Civilian Conservation Corps and other dedicated trail builders and the VIS um, mm -hmm. programs around or communities, we um, have a, a really an outstanding trail system, historic in nature, um, incredibly well constructed mm -hmm. with stone steps, with rock walls, with um, beautiful bridges. And so it takes it takes a village really to uh, uh, and, and also it takes some expertise. And that's what the Park Service can lend to the whole management is really having those folks who know their business when it comes to building uh, rock stone step trails. So we're, we really have a beautiful trail system. The carriage roads as well, um, having been laid out with purpose in terms of where they go, how they wind, even to the point of thinking about what trees should remain where and having Beatrix Ferrand uh, coming in as a landscape architect when they were being designed and saying, okay, we these plantings should be here to make it look less of a scar on the land when they were first constructed. So it's that historic nature that really we try to preserve as a cultural asset for the park. And goodness knows what a great recreational asset for us as well, for all the thousands of people who hike, bicycle, um, run, and r ski, really everyone who enjoys those trails and carriage roads. And um, Friends of Acadia had a role also with the um, creation of the Island Explorer, which um, is an asset <laughs> really to allow people to get around without using their cars. Absolutely. We'd be lost, I think, without the Island Explorer. And it's a uh, free propane-powered bus system that's available for that we set it up such that um, where the parking on Mount Desert Island is is at hotels and campgrounds. So the whole system was set up to pick up people at their lodging establishments and then transfer into routes that would take them into the park and to other local communities. And it's carried, actually, I think we hit our six millionth passenger this past, at the end of the season. So it's really been a terrific, terrific bus system with support from all the area towns, from the National Park Service, from people who pay entrance fees, and uh, also from L.L. Bean and, and others. It's been just a tremendous asset. Mm. And just a, a, a little word about Wild Gardens of Acadia, which is a yeah. really gem of a place. Yeah. The Wild Gardens of Acadia really was established by volunteers from the Bar Harbor Garden Club, from with support from the Mount Desert Garden Club, and individual volunteers who have really stuck with the program, um, lending their own time, lending their own financial resources to, to put together 
this hab- 13 different habitats that show plants that visitors might be able to find in the park, native plants. So it's really a great resource for people who are interested in botany, who are interested in habitats as a, as a general rule about what areas you might, what things you might see out there in the park. And now uh, Friends of Acadia lends some administrative and fundraising support to the volunteers who manage the gardens. Um, so we're, we're working on current projects like trying to redesign the bog, putting up deer fencing, and raising an endowment, hopefully, for the wild gardens. Mm. Last asset that I'll ask you about, and that's of the night skies of Acadia and the celebration that's emerged, again, in partnership with the community. We are just so lucky that at Acadia we have some of the last remaining dark night skies on the east coast of the United States. And so it's a, it's definitely an asset that we want to stress the importance of protecting to make sure that people can still come to our park and see the Milky Way, to see all the different stars and planets that are out there. It's um, we. Sheridan Steele, the park Mm -hmm. superintendent, really, um, there was a group that used to meet about economic development in the whole region. And his idea was, well, for tourism in the off-season, let's really work on this particular asset and encourage people to come and enjoy it and to go home and protect it. Mm -hmm. And so the Night Sky Festival has just thrived um, with two star parties in the park each year that bring thousands of people to and and uh, lots of astronomers on a volunteer basis who bring their telescopes and and it's an opportunity for people to look up with wonder at what and learn a little bit more about the asset mm. yeah, well, mean, it, it is acadia's deepest vista it is where we came from <laughs> sure and at certain times of the year you can be on the top of cadillac and if you know your sky you can see the andromeda galaxy with your naked eyes to know that the light that is arriving so that you can see that has been traveling for two million years. Mm, great. Well, I'm happy now to welcome Lynn Dominey uh, to the program via phone. Lynn, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Good morning, Ron. Thank you. Uh, Lynn, you're Chief of Interpretation at Acadia National Park. Uh, what's that role? What You're helping tell the story of Acadia. Is that right? We are. We really focus on providing a quality visitor experience for people when they're visiting the park. So it's the ranger-led programs, the information people get in the facilities, the field trips for kids and schools that are coming to the park, and all the media like the exhibits and the websites and the social media that we do to stay in touch and have a dialogue with the public. Mm. And uh, say a little bit about your background, your uh, career um, National Park Service employee. I spent 28 years working for the National Park Service in five different units of the Park Service in four different states, and so I'm glad to be in Maine now at Acadia. Sure, and tell us a little bit about your role with uh, the Acadia Centennial uh, Task Force. You're kind of the lead person for the National Park and helping get ready for this party. So I serve as the Centennial Coordinator for Acadia, working with Jack and Stephanie and the Centennial Task Force. Um, to really work on organizing the centennial with communities across Maine uh, to make sure that it's a celebration around the park and not just things that are happening inside the park but in communities across the state. Mm. And and what's what's been intriguing to you as you've worked, and I, uh, I think you've probably worked on this, some aspect of this since you came to Acadia, what's been intriguing to you about this whole um, celebration? Well, the most amazing part to me is something you heard Stephanie talk about, and that's the communities, and that we really are 
building on the, the energy and the excitement and the innovation of uh, residents of Maine and visitors to Maine that are excited about celebrating the 100-year legacy of Acadia National Park, and that those ideas are being driven by individuals and organizations and businesses. Um, and so it creates a great synergy and a collective effort looking forward as we're looking towards the next 100 years of Acadia National Park. Mm. And that the, the tie-in to the National Park Service Centennial, um, what tie-ins do you see that are particularly relevant for Acadia? Well, there are some national events that will be going on that you'll also see happening here on the ground. Um, for example, in April, it's National Park Week, and so that happens to be the week that we open the visitor facilities back in the park, so the, the Holt Cove Visitor Center, and we do an event called National Junior Ranger Day, for example, that this year during the centennial will be co-sponsored by Camp Beach Cliff. Um, where we really are be, uh, working with kids and communities across Maine to celebrate the centennial. Um, so our tie-in is really just staying connected to some of the national efforts that will be happening on the ground here and across the agency. And you mentioned the, the hope that this is a, a, a statewide kind of celebration. What are some of, who are some of the partners that are helping um, a, um, further that aspect of the centennial? And, and I'll welcome comments as well from Jack and Stephanie, but um, I'll let you take the, the lead on that, Lynn. One of the best ways for people to see how they can get involved with the centennial is to go to the website that's been created by the task force. It's www.acadiacentennial.com. 2016.org and on this website you can see all of the 200 plus partners that are developing their ideas with either their organization or individuals or their businesses um, to offer activities and events or to sell centennial products that they want to have be collectibles during the centennial. Um, there's a searchable calendar there that people can go to and get a sense for what's being offered in which weeks and which locations across the state in Maine. And so this is the best place for people who want to learn how to become a partner as well as consider selling a product or uh, just learning what events are already planned that they can come and be a part of in the area. Great. And Jack, Stephanie, would anything you'd add to this notion that this is a, a, a larger celebration than just Mount Desert Island, Hancock County? In fact, it spreads out into the state. Um, Jack, I think you've mentioned that Down East Magazine is going to be doing a special edition. Yeah, uh, Down East Magazine, uh, the magazine of Maine, is one of our 10, now 11, uh, Acadia Centennial Signature Sponsors. Uh, they've given us significant free advertising space in their book, uh, and they are going to be having a dedicated issue, an issue dedicated to the Acadia Centennial. Pretty sure it's going to be the June 2016 issue, so watch for that. But our friends at the Maine Historical Society, based in Portland, are doing a wonderful many months exhibit called Designing Acadia, which is the contribution of forward landscape architects like Frederick Law Olmsted to Acadia, and they'll have a, a kickoff lecture next May. There's going to be an art exhibit at the State House. The wonderful Bangor Public Library on September the 3rd is going to be doing a tea and popovers for children mm -hmm. event uh, and probably a lot more. Uh, and most of the libraries within our broadcast range, uh, both on the island and on the mainland, are going to have throughout the month of February one park, one read, where 
libraries, there's community organizations focus on three books that are Acadia-themed and invite people in for events and sharing ways of understanding Acadia through the written word. Mm. Stephanie, what would you add? I would just add that we're continuing to look for these statewide engagement opportunities mm. because we really do want this to be not just about the local region around Acadia National Park because really Acadia is a main asset. It's actually a national asset being part of the national park system. So if anyone is out there and say, oh, I think we should maybe think about doing this as an activity to celebrate the park, bring it to us. We'd Absolutely. love to have you part of um, the whole roster of activities, and we can help bring exposure to your activity or program through our website, through our partnerships with media, and we look forward to playing that role. Great. And Lynn, before we take a short break, uh, I'll give you the last word um, for this, this um, segment of the program. What would you add to this uh, celebration coming up uh, in, in Acadia? Uh, just that remember that Acadia is a legacy for us all. It belongs to us all, and everyone has a chance now to get involved in the next 100 years of celebrating Acadia's future. And so visit the website, www.acadiacentennial2016.org, to see how you can get involved now. Oh, Lynn, thanks so much. Lynn is the... Uh, uh Chief of Interpretation for Acadia National Park. You're listening to Talk of the Towns. We're um, pre-celebrating Acadia um, uh, by devoting a program to talking about the centennial of Acadia. Our guests in the studio are Jack Russell, co-chair of the Acadia Centennial Task Force, and Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia. And now we're going to take a short break because this is Pledge Drive here on WERU, and your support really matters to us here at Talk of the Towns and to everyone who volunteers and works for WERU. Are you? And that's right, 1-800-643-6273. Give us a call and show your support for local independent public affairs programming here in WERU. 1-800-643-6273. Joel Mann here with Amy Brown. Wanting to take just a moment out of this great programming to ask you to show your support for the local homegrown programs that we have here, WERU. Ron Beard has been here since the station. I think he was here before the station. Ron Beard's <laughs> always been here. <laughs> and we know Ron Beard had lots of friends out there. So That's what right. we'd like you to do is to show the support that he comes in here and he's done shows at WERU for years that have just talked about the local happenings, the local businesses, the problems in the communities. Um, it's What he's done for this radio station is unbelievable, and you need to step up and say, yes, I do love to listen to Talk of the Towns, and 1-800-643-6273. That's the way to do it. Yeah, and some of the programs over the just the past year, just in 2015, include a topic uh, of the Abbey Museum, Bridging Wabanaki and White People and Cultures, uh, Abundance Cycle, a new lens for developing sustainable businesses. Uh, he did a program on Governor LePage's tax reform plan and its implications on Maine towns and nonprofits. He's had some high school students in talking about transitioning to college and work. Uh, he's talked with people about alternative energy and College of the Atlantic and how they're doing programs there to learn more about that. Uh, Union River Fish and Dams, healthy food options for Maine general stores, and last month celebrating how our buildings contribute to a sense of place. So a lot of great civic-minded topics that are really important for the community. So give a call. Show your support for that. 1-800-643-6273. I don't think that there's a topic he hasn't covered. 
If there's really. not, there he are will. a few there that he has, but <laughs> he has covered every topic out there, and that is just priceless. That is something that is priceless to this radio station and to this community to have somebody with that much dedication who will do the research, get the people who need to be the experts on the subjects, and bring them to your airwaves. Show your support. Pick up that phone, 1-800-643-6273. That's right. Give us a call, 1-800-643-6273. We're going to send it back over to Ron in the studio. Thanks for everyone who's calling. Oh, thanks so much, Amy and, and Joel. Thanks for your your support of me. I, it really makes a difference to have um, you folks um, here in the studio, uh, in the, at the station, uh, to support me as I uh, do these shows. And I've been doing it um, for 22 years um, here on Talk of the Towns. Jill Goldthwaite and I started Talk of the Towns um, in 1993, and uh, it's been a wonderful ride, and I hope it continues. Uh, so thanks for your support, and do give um, the, the station a call. The pledge line is one. 800-643-6273. Um, so the, the, the notion of celebrating and, and going out into the community, we've begun to shift from talking about what we're celebrating to how we're celebrating. Um, what's the first event? What's the first event in 2016, Jack? Well, um, a diplomatic question for us, but uh, next Friday we'll talk about the centennial at the Acadia Senior College Food for Thought event uh, at Birch Bay uh, in Hall's Cove, but the, the real kickoff event is January 25th at the MDI High School. For six years now, we've had a baked bean supper mm. uh, where everybody who wants to brag on their beans brings their pot in, and we have a contest to see which is the best. Uh, and there's an educational event in the theater after that. Well, this year at the baked bean supper on January 25th, starting at 6 o'clock, is going to be a uh, 25, 30 minute feature film on the Acadia Centennial, uh, which will tell you what's gonna be coming, how it was put together. Uh, Peter Long, uh, a local filmmaker, has been commissioned by a couple of organizations. Uh, so that's a good way to get a anticipation and eat some pretty good beans. <laughs> That's great. Well, we're going to we're talking with uh, Jack Russell, who is co-chair of the Acadia Centennial Task Force, and Stephanie Clement is with us in the studio. She's with Friends of Acadia, a member of the Acadia Centennial Task Force as we talk about the centennial coming up. And on the phone with us, we have Julie Veyu. Uh, Julie is a, a member of the board of uh, Friends of Acadia and also on this task force. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Julie. Thank you, Ron. Good morning. And you're one of the, the folks that um, has uh, kind of stepped up for, um, both as a resident of Mount Desert Island but also as a business member at Window Panes. Uh, tell us why you got involved and, and what some of the things that you're working on. Well, it, it actually started at an Abbey fundraiser and Cookie Horner cornered me. <laughs> um, and, and I'm so thrilled that she did because I couldn't be more proud to be participating with this event and, and to celebrate a hundred years of an amazing gem in our backyard. Um, I, I know that I was approached because of my retail background. Um, I have 21 years of my husband Greg and I running window panes here in Bar Harbor. And I, I think that I really have had something to offer. And um, it's been pretty exciting. It's, it's extremely exciting to all of those hours of hard work and just going through forms and paperwork and and um, guideline sheets 
to seeing the physical actual product out there and more importantly the product being very very well received from customers and and them walking home with it so it's been it's been a really fun ride so far and it's really just begun so tell me a little bit about um how um folks are developing products that um uh, are, are devoted to the centennial and and then hopefully the business owner and the customer um gets value out of that sure so the way we started this ron was um we had to create some guidelines. Um, we, we have an amazing logo that went through a logo contest. And interestingly enough, um, I, an artist from Freeport um, won the logo contest. And so we've got this amazing image. And then it was about creating some guidelines so that when businesses were interested in taking that logo and doing something with it, we had a little bit of control with that. So. They can, they can go to the website, which Lynn has mentioned, and they can see on that website that if you're interested in creating a product, this is what you need to do. You can go to this form. You can download this, this form, fill it, out, fill it out, submit it. We then have a group of us that, via email, we're looking at these submissions and we're approving them. Then the business will take that away and then just work with their manufacturer and create the product, bring the product in and sell it. One of the things that we are asking is with product, we are asking that a minimum of 5% come back to help fund projects and programs in Acadia National Park. And this is totally on the honor system. And our feeling is that when this business decides that they want to be a partner and join the efforts, that they will do just that. And they can figure that out. Um, you know, whatever format, if, it, if it's year-end, if it's quarterly, they just want to add up and then submit their 5% donation back to to friends. Mm. So. And um, I know it's hard to play favorites, uh, but are, are there some examples of some of the products that you've seen developed that um, are exciting to you, Julie? There are. There are well, w- one of the things, and, and I will just, I will say that there, there are a couple of ways that people, we really wanted to make this very, very simple for for residents, uh, for anybody, any business to jump on board and get involved with this. So we have created some seed-funded products that we actually, as a committee, sat down and said, let's select four or five different products um, from two different two different manufacturing companies. One of them is Eastern National, which is our um, park. This is the, the group that creates the products for the national park. And so we have four products from them, which are a lapel pin, we have a magnet, we have a um, hiking stick um, pin, and a patch. We also have, from Main Camp Outfitters, which is based out of Deer Isle, we've created a car magnet, we have a um, fleece blanket available in two colors, we have ball caps available in two colors, and we have mugs. This way, this is great, these all have logos on it, and this is just a great way for somebody to download the order form, figure out how many items they want, the product gets sent to them, and then they sell it. And then there's the the initial way that I was talking about where they can create something totally unique, and that's been very, very exciting to see some of the products that are are coming through. Um, I think one of the most exciting things right now, this early on, is is the um, five-inch car magnet. And I'm seeing them on a lot of local cars in town, and that's that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, there's artwork that's being developed out there with the with the logo. We have um, we have books that are being developed. We have calendars that are developed. We have um, oh, there's just things are coming in weekly now. And and Stephanie's done a great job at just you know getting the word out, and then we get to look at these items and then um, approve them, and then send them back to that particular business and say, here you go, congratulations, and and get this product out there. And, and the product is all available on the website to see, so that's that's very exciting. Great. And and uh, Julie, last last word is window panes. Doing anything special? We have. Um, I have a, a lot of product that's available. We have some great ideas for the Fourth of July. Um, I'm not going to, to mention <laughs> what those are. So okay. Stay tuned and wait. And I think we'll be launching um, another Centennial product that we're very, very excited about. So it's Great. been a, it's been fabulous to be part of this whole celebration. Well, thank you for taking part in Talk of the Towns this morning, Julie. You're welcome, Ron. Thank you. Julie Veyu is, is co-owner with her uh, husband, Greg, with Window Panes in Bar Harbor. She's a member of the Friends of Acadia Board of Directors and on the task force to um, plan and celebrate Acadia National Park, its 100th um, anniversary. In the studio with us are Jack Russell and Stephanie Clement, both members of the, the task force. I'll open, up, up our, excuse me, I'll open up our phone lines um, if you'd like to call with your own thoughts or comments, your experience or your questions for our guests. Give us a call at one 866 625-9378. We'd welcome your participation. So some other things, um, Stephanie and Jack, that um, um, are examples of the way that we'll be celebrating in the next year. Some things, um, Jack, you've mentioned some books. Tell us a little bit about um, the biography of George B. Dorr. Yeah. Uh, Ron Epp, who has been a friend of Acadia for many, many years and for the last 12 years been doing very prodigious research on the life and times of George B. Dorr, uh, has finished a biography, the first biography of Mr. Dorr, and working with Friends of Acadia and Amy Beale Church, an excellent editor. Uh, we are bringing that book out in the spring, so we will have a wonderful biography of Mr. Dorr. Uh, I might also mention uh, a beautiful book called Acadia National Park, A Centennial Celebration by the noted photographer, uh, Tom Blagden, uh, which will be published in the spring both by Rizzoli, an international uh, high art uh, publisher, and by Friends of Acadia. Uh, Tom uh, is an Acadia Centennial partner. There are some prestigious writers, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, David Rockefeller Jr., uh, Ken Olson, the former CEO of Friends of Acadia, David McDonald, the current CEO, Sheridan Steele, our just retired. Uh, superintendent and Dayton Duncan uh, of Dayton Duncan and Ken Burns uh, all have essays in the book uh, so look forward to that one great we have a phone call we'll take that and welcome your phone calls if you'd like to give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 but let's go to David in Brooklyn go ahead David hi thanks for the show I do love Acadia and uh, I appreciate I've been listening off and on to it uh, the show and i appreciate the uh the effort that's gone into keeping uh the land uh close to its natural state i uh in looking looking toward the uh celebration of that piece of land i i'm just curious i've heard a lot about uh the european input into that uh land and it's 
development or lack of development and the uh, corporate input. I wonder if there's going to be any uh, concentration in your celebration about its original native uh, origin as part of the uh, territory which used to be very well occupied by the uh, what we call the American Indians uh, here to, you know before it was even uh, discovered by the uh, uh, the uh, and claimed by the the infamous Rights of Discovery <laughs> Act. Uh, Great, David. I think we do have a response to that. Thanks for your call this morning. Uh, Jack? Yeah, uh, a great, great question. We welcome it. Uh, from our perspective, what national parks conserve is all the natural and human history that has taken place in the area, in the region. So, of course, nine-tenths of that are the Wabanaki people and their forebears who've been in the area for at least 5,000 years. And so uh, we are committed to celebrating that. Uh, Wabanaki drummers will be at several of the large public events. Uh, you may know, David, that the Abbey Museum uh, was the first trailside museum within the national park system and is, I think, the only remaining one now. The Abbey Museum, which now has two sites, one of them in Bar Harbor, is dedicated to close relationship with the Wabanaki tribes, is an Acadia Centennial partner, and I think you can see a close integration of the celebration of Acadia with the celebration of what many of us call Chief Astaku's Island Domain. <laughs> Great, Jack. Um, our phone numbers are one 625 9378 or locally 469-0500. We welcome your comments, your questions, your experience with uh, Acadia National Park as we talk about celebrating Acadia. Stephanie, what are some of the things that you look forward to, um, actual events that uh, are coming up? Well, I think it's, I, I really am looking forward to the statewide events. Uh -huh. I really think that um, through MPBN is one of our statewide partners, as is Down East. Um, they're the signature sponsors for the Centennial, having committed to really try to bring it to a, a greater audience. Mm. So to me, I that is a really important piece that I am, I, I want to go to Portland. I want to <laughs> go to um, the western part of the state. I want to go down east up to um, the county. So I really think that that's going to be a joy to see Acadia celebrated statewide. Mm. Jack, what else is in the works, do you suppose, that you want to highlight today? Yeah, well, we've talked about the opening event. I'll talk about the closing event, mm -hmm. uh, which we were thinking about together and saying, okay, you've got a year-long centennial celebration. How do you bring it to a close? Well, our tagline is celebrate the past, inspire the future. So we came up with the idea that one of the last things we would do was have a time capsule. Mm. which we would send forward across another century to all the wonderful people yet to be born who will organize the Acadia Bicentennial <laughs> in 2116. Uh, and we will seal that time capsule with everybody's contributions at a public event at the wonderful Criterion Theater, an Acadia Centennial partner in Bar Harbor on Saturday, the 10th of December next year. That's and great. a party to follow. Oh, that's great. Stephanie? I think another one that I'm particularly excited about, too, the Maine Windjammer Association on August 2nd will be bringing, uh, I think it's 10 windjammers up to through Soam Sound. So I think that's just going to be a beautiful time uh, for everyone to celebrate the history of um, uh, of the ocean and, and shipbuilding and, and the tall ships in the area. So mm. it'll be fun. And again, um, Lynn Dominey, um, 
Chief of Interpretation of Acadia National Park, um, has listed the website, so that's certainly one way. How, how else would people get involved? Are there still opportunities to volunteer, um, to become product sponsors? What's, what are the opportunities? Most definitely. We, uh, throughout next year, will probably have um, tables, uh, information tables at various events throughout the state. So if people have ideas or invitations for someone to come represent the Centennial as an outreach, we would love to hear about that. And we'd love to have you represent us. Mm. Um, the other uh, ways that people can volunteer, um, if when, when people become Acadia Centennial Partners, we put together a little package of Centennial Partner pins. Um, and if they're product sales, there are stickers that people can put on their products and so on that are tied to the Centennial. So I have uh, dedicated volunteer Betty Massey, who's been helping me package those things up and develop their, or send them off through the communities. So that's... we. We always have need for volunteers like mm. that, so people can get in touch with me if they're interested. Great. So uh, volunteering and then attending the program, the website, um, is probably the best place to, to find those those um, ideas. Definitely. Jack, what, what else would you add? Uh, that uh, it is not too late to become an Acadia Centennial Partner. We fully expect that people will want to uh, become those uh, a partner during 2016. We welcome that. Uh, Stephanie does an extraordinary job at the front end orienting people and coming in. We've got over 220 now, and uh, we expect uh, that number to grow because people do want to be part of this. Great. 1-866-625-9378. Um, participate in our conversation about celebrating Acadia, the year-long celebration of Acadia National Park and, of course, the uh, National Park Service. So what have you learned um, in this process of planning? This, this plan um, started probably four or five years ago. People recognized this was happening. What, what have you both learned about planning, about Acadia, about people um, in, this, in this process? Stephanie? I, I think the, the difficult and fun part for me has been um, the diversity of ideas that are out there <laughs> among partners and trying to keep everybody on the same path of try celebrating Acadia, um, but also trying to get to yes with each partner. It has always been interesting for mm. me. Um, and then the challenge, of course, is next year making sure that all the partners actually are able to do the activities that they've proposed. Mm. And um, what has been most fun for me, we had a board member for Friends of Acadia, Hank Schmelzer, who really challenged us to think about why. Why, why is Friends of Acadia investing so much time in trying to organize a centennial celebration for the park? And the answer to me is that the real work will begin in 2017 and beyond, where we have this diverse group of partners, which I hope will be 300 by, by the end of the year at least. How do we stay together as a group to really support the park into the next century, whether it be through volunteerism, whether it be through advocacy, through continued philanthropic support, really the challenge to me, which is fun and daunting at the same time, is to take it beyond next year. So you're building the next generation of activists. Most definitely. Right. And, and I think back to what a, what a dynamite person Mr. Doerr must have been to have been able to encourage President Wilson to sign that proclamation to found Acadia National, well, found Sertimoff National Monument, and it it's just inspiring to mm. think back that, mm. and then to try to get this group to continue forward in that vein. Mm -hmm. Jack, what have you learned? Trust community. Mm. Have confidence that regular folks, distracted as they may be, busy as they may be, really do love their commons, their national park in diverse ways, 
and will do a lot mm. to have an opportunity to share that commitment. Uh, and I second what Stephanie has said, that uh, we will not be doing our job as celebrants of the centennial if we don't carry momentum and community commitment uh, forward from the centennial year. Uh, there are some big things this park needs to face. I did the math the other day. Within a day's drive of Acadia National Park, counting our friends in Canada and in the Northeast, 80 million people live within one car a day car drive to Acadia. It's 50,000 acres, a little bit less actually. So independent of whatever spike of activity may occur during the centennial, our beloved park is going to have the challenge of being one of Acadia, America's favorite places. And the only way we're gonna be able to meet that challenge is if we are a united community who really wants every visitor to have a quality experience and to be able to work together to assure that that happens while we are still conserving the birthright that we have at Acadia National Park. Mm. That notion that you're protecting resources and giving visitors an experience is it's probably the hardest balance um, that the Park Service has, has taken on. Definitely, and it's in their organic legislation. It's what the National Park Service is all about. Mm. And so it's it's that continual tug of war of making sure that those resources are there for future generations to continue to enjoy and to connect with. Mm. It seems as, as a, though our good friend Julie Bayou has had an afterthought. Welcome back to talk with the towns um what, what would you like to contribute at this point thanks john i just wanted to say that i think the um the work in the connection um with the centennial planning really allows us to fulfill our centennial tagline and that that celebrate our past inspire our future and it just brings a tremendous sense of awareness to our national parks which hopefully will translate into great stewardship into the next century and especially with our young people. And I know both Jack and, and um, Stephanie touched upon that. And I, I just think of a, a personal connection with that. And, and that's with our son, who went through his entire school years up here and really looked forward to just moving away. And the grass is always greener elsewhere. He's now in Portland, and he's working hard to try to find a way to get back here. <laughs> because this park is near and dear to him, and he realizes that the gem that he has. Mm. And, and that he takes full advantage of. And I think, I think we're seeing more and more of that, and we're, we're hoping that these young people will step up and, um, and, and help to take care of this for the next century. So. Well, well, Julie, I can th see why um, Co-Chair Cookie Horner buttoned hold you. You're a wonderful <laughs> spokesperson for um, this ideal. Uh, well, thanks again to, for joining in. It's pretty exciting to be a part of it, that's for sure. Great. Uh, Julie Thank Bayou. you. Yep. Thank you. Um, and uh, I think we'll think, uh, give each of you um, kind of the last word. Um, I, I should say also that I've got a grandson that's going to grow up next door, and I know that um, his experience in Acadia is going to be um, kind of predicated on my own experience. It's gone back a lot of years, and, and this notion that we're, we all do share this resource and, and the responsibility. But, um, again, um, other things that you're hoping for to come out, uh, it's kind of we wrap up our program, uh, Stephanie first, and then Jack. 
Well, I, I want people to remember it's also meant to be fun. Yes. You know, it's in addition to feeling the weight of having to volunteer or advocate or give money to the park, <laughs> I, I want people to get out and have fun right. also. And uh, if I can just, I'm in the weeds uh, here with, but I wanted to give significant thanks to our Centennial Signature Sponsors, the Jackson Lab, Bar Harbor Bank & Trust, Knowles Company, the Hinkley Company, Ocean Properties, L.L. Bean, Down East, Eastern Maine Healthcare Systems, NPN, MPBN, Star 97.7, and the Mount Desert Islander. We're so thrilled that they've lended resources to make this possible. Great. Thanks so much. Jack? National parks don't just happen. There are dedicated professionals who offer their life's work in the green and gray to make what we enjoy as good as it can be. And for five generations in Acadia National Park, good people, often from local families, have worn that uniform served us, guided us, uh, working under extraordinarily difficult circumstances now because the Congress of the United States does not net fund the national park system at the level that they should. And so uh, people have to work more than 40 hours. There's an awful lot of volunteerism that comes from the hearts and the backs and the minds of the people who are Arcadia National Park staff. So I hope during the centennial year will have an opportunity in many ways to say a heartfelt thank you to their service. Mm, what a great conclusion. Uh, thanks so much to both uh, Stephanie Clement, uh, Friends of Acadia and a member of the Acadia Centennial Task Force, and Jack Russell, co-chair of the task force and, and a supporter of uh, Acadia and many other things on Mount Desert Island. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland Music recording. Thanks um, again to uh, those who uh, listened and called in. Thanks to our telephone guests, uh, Lynn Dominey of Acadia National Park and Julie Bayou of Window Panes, and the, she's a member of the Board of Directors of Friends of Acadia. Thanks to our underwriters at Maine Community Foundation. Thanks to our supporters. We had a phone call from um, MH in New York with an online gift uh, during our program, and we hope others will support um, this wonderful radio station by calling 1-800-643-6273. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Thank you.
On Saturday, November 17th at 6.30 p.m., the WERU Community Advisory Board will meet at the Alamo Theater on Main Street in Bucksport. The purpose of this advisory board is to provide a forum for effective community input to the station's board of directors about station programming, community service, and impact on the community.